Welcome to Substance Free 02043. I'm your host, Kristen Arute, and I am Program Director for Hingham Cares. Our mission is to reduce substance use among youth in our community, and we do that through education and through informing teens, parents, and the general public about the risks of underage substance use. With us today are our guests, Kathy and Chris Sullivan of Sullivan's Message and Taylor's Message. Welcome, Kathy and Chris. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Kristen, for having us again. It's good to be here. I'd like to start and have you tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sure. Well, my name's Kathy Sullivan, and this is my cute, adorable husband, Christopher, next to me. We did meet in 2009, actually, so we just celebrated our 12th anniversary? 13? 13, out. somewhere around 13. there, yes. Um, and I will share with you that my daughter, Taylor, was the one that introduced us. And unfortunately, she did introduce us from up above because my daughter passed away in 2008 from underage drinking um, after a series of homecoming parties on that fateful night in fri on Friday, October 17th, 2008. I unfortunately lost her that following weekend after a long search. And somehow I stood up at my first school two months later to discuss it, to be able to share what happened in hopes that something good would come from it. And my husband, Chris, actually was living down the road for me, did not know him, and he came to my first parent night. So I spoke to the kids two months after Taylor had passed away from underage drinking or senior, and then I wanted to do a parent night, share everything that I wish I had done differently. And my husband, Chris, was in the audience. And Chris, why don't you share with them why you were in the audience? Well, first of all, it was my high school, my, my North Attleboro High School, the, the school I went to growing up. Um, but I was there five weeks sober. Um, I struggled for years with alcohol and heroin addiction, pain pills, uh, pretty much everything. So my sponsor, the guy that helped get me, me sober, was friends with Kathy. He kind of is the one that helped her to, to stand up and speak the first few times. So... He dragged me along, and I was doing anything he asked me to do at the time. And he said, hey, listen, you're going to come to this parent night, and you're going to listen to this lady and, and, and kind of hear what, you know, alcohol, the, you know, the destructive nature of it, the other side of it, not, not the side you see in the commercials. You know, and I went there, and I sat in back, and I wanted nothing to do with her. You know, I actually, you know, the crazy part is when I left, I was like, Man, I got problems. Like, my life was upside down, but I'm like, it could be worse, you know, after listening to her. And, and I knew her sister, and, and, and uh, her sister had kids, and I had, you know, ex-girlfriend with kids, kind of stepkids. And I didn't it. meet her that night. I, I saw her that night. Um, I don't know if we briefly met that night or said hello, but... I think you, know. you ran away. It's crazy. It's crazy that, you know, we travel around and talk about the destructive nature and alcohol and drugs and all that. And that's what it brought us together. You know, so the, the thing that flipped our lives upside down and changed them are, 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 is the same thing that kind of 
brought, brought us together. together. So. Absolutely. So you've told your story many times over the years. Yes. And it can't get any easier, I'm sure. It doesn't get e- any easier with the retelling of it. But could you share what happened to Taylor that night? Absolutely. Um, it has been 14 years that I have been sharing this story. Actually, it will be 14 years this January. And it was homecoming game. My daughter was 17. She was this beautiful little blonde thing celebrating her senior year, you know, enjoying every moment of it. Small history. We grew up in Plainville, Mass., so we've been in our own town forever. So we had that type of hometown mentality. Taylor was a senior in high school, like I said, and it was homecoming game, and she went off to her homecoming game. But prior to that game, she went to a couple of different parties. And at those different parties, there was obviously underage drinking involved. And then she went to the homecoming game on Friday, and they won. King Philip High School was where my Tay went to school. And after the homecoming game, what happened was 22 of of her friends decided that they wanted to go party some more. And where those kids went was actually to an old abandoned airport Mm -hmm. in Norfolk. And there was a campfire that was set up, and she just went over there with her friends just to have a good time is what they all thought. Um, I did find out on Saturday morning that she was missing because she was having a sleepover that night, like most teenage girls do. She had been doing it forever. We've been in the same town forever. So when I found out that Saturday morning that she wasn't where she was supposed to be, the search began that afternoon. So, you know, um, unfortunately we were in Norfolk and there was over 600 people searching for my poor child that weekend. And we did not find her on Saturday. We did not find her on Sunday. It took all till Monday morning that she was actually discovered. And she had actually drowned in only two feet of water. You know, as a five foot seven young lady, you know, to imagine that being how my daughter would pass was absolutely incredible to have to walk that path. And that morning when I left that field, um, I left that field as well as a different person, similar to what I share with people. You know, when you go through something like that, your world changes. And I left that field, and I remember driving home with my son, who was 19 at the time. And as I drove home and I had to go back to my house, I couldn't do it. I actually went to my sister's house, and I stayed there for over a month. As you can imagine, you know, we're not wanting to go back to your reality. Um, And somehow, right before her funeral, I sat down and I wrote her eulogy. And I said, this is going to make a difference. And honestly, Kristen, I never should have been able to do that at that point in my life. I should have never been able to have some sort of message to be able to give. So I know that everything happens for a reason. And I can sit here and I can see you tearing up a little bit. it affects everybody. This, this world that we're in, everybody has something happen to them. And somehow I stood up at my first school two months later, like I told you. And I just pleaded with the kids the first time. I said, please make good choices. And over the years, it has changed. You know, it's changed. Um, the message has never changed because I always just share the story of what happened with Taylor to the kids so that they can make better choices. But the result is the same. Like the the amazing things that happen from those conversations with those students at schools and the parents at night are absolutely incredible. And as Chris said, you know, some of our most beautiful things have come out from such a horrible tragedy in our family. And my family has changed, obviously, and we'll talk about that more later. But the messages from Taylor's message and from Chris's, you know, not in playbook is what we call his program, 
it's incredible what happens. And I can share with you, you know, as a mom who have lost my only daughter, I would not go back and change anything, actually, because I wouldn't have had what came out of Taylor's life be what, we, what it is today. So, right. you know, as tough as it is to talk about it, and we talk a lot, we go wherever we're called, it has a purpose. And, you know, Taylor's done more in her little 17 years of her life than most people will do in a lifetime. So, you know, you have to play the card you're handed, and it's been amazing what has happened so far. That's remarkable. You have a remarkable story yourself. I mean, you share Taylor's story, you share this cautionary word to kids and to parents, but the fact that you yourself are so resilient and you've come out of such tragedy and turned it into something that's a positive message for, or an important message for parents and for kids is just incredibly impressive. Yes, and no, it's funny, I just saw you hesitate when you said positive message. It is a it positive message. It is tough to message, say that it's right? positive. It no, yes. but it is. It truly is. You know, and it's I, a positive yeah. mission. It is a positive mission and a positive message because I think when the kids hear Chris and our story, it hits home because it's just a conversation. Like I just said to him when we walked in here, it's just a conversation. Right. And it's those conversations that are changing things. So right. it's okay. Well, thank you for that. Chris, you have um, a story, a personal story yourself of addiction to substances. Could you share a little bit about that? Man, if you asked me when I was younger, I'd be sitting in a, in a room like this talking about this. I thought I, thought I was the farthest thing i guess i had the stigma in my head like i thought i was the farthest person away from someone that would struggle with substances or addiction or or anything like that you know growing up i was a good kid and i was quiet and i always did the right thing and i was on time and i didn't talk back and i didn't miss practice and i did pretty good in school and i didn't give my parents a hard time and i just didn't know what i didn't know you know looking back like, I fit every criteria for someone to struggle with substances, whether it was alcohol or, or, or drugs. You know, I had the insecurities, I had the doubts, I had the anxiety, I had the depression, I had the self-esteem issues, you know. And, and I, 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 at least for me personally, I masked everything, you know. And, and I, I started doing that when I was young, you know. I, I, I got good at sports, and, and, and I figured if, if I always did the right thing, people would really never know what was going on really inside mm. yeah sports became my outlet and and I did well and you know I was very successful and and I, I you know I got a scholarship and played in the NFL for the Patriots and Steelers and um and then when when my identity got taken away my life spiraled but like I said I I, I honestly I heard people come in and speak to our different teams and I heard people in college and and I always sat back and I listened and I was polite like always, but I could never, I used to look at the person and say, I'm nothing like them. You know, when, when the scary part is, like, I was just like them. And a lot of what I talk about in my messages, like, I wish I knew that. Mm. You know, I wish that, I wish I knew, like, most people that, you know, turn to substances, um, some sort of mental health or trauma issue. You know, I, you walk into any meeting hall, AA meetings, NA meetings, or whatever type of meeting, 90% of the time the people get up and talk, they felt just like me as a kid. You know, and, that, and, and that's the thing, because like when I go into the, especially in the schools, I've had so many kids come up to me after and say, I feel just like you, and, and, or parents, you know, my kid's just like you. And I'm like, that's, 90% of that's pretty good. 
you need to pay attention to the other 10%. Even though I was successful in life, I never wanted to be me. That makes sense. I always wanted to be someone else that, you know, someone that could sit in front of a camera and be comfortable. Uh, I always tell people now, I always wished I, I could be like my wife acts now. You know, we're just comfortable in any situation. You talk to people, you like being around people. And I think you're doing a great job. No, no, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I, do, I can do it in spurts at this point. Mm-hmm. I've come a long way, but even before every school, we say, I'm hiding. I don't know if I should give my secret away. Usually I'm sitting in the bathroom yeah. in one of the, the stalls. little stalls, and I'm praying. But that's just me. You know, and after doing it three or four hundred times, it's it's always going to be me. It's such an important thing to us. I would not be here. I would not have got up in a school if it wasn't for her. Mm. I think some other people would have forced me for a little while. Um, (laughs) But she's brought that out in you. Yes. In a positive way. Yes, and and we are so so. I I think this is the only thing we have in common is our passion for kind of the subject. I agree. You know, because every, every, on every other bullet point, we are different. But that's why it works. So, Chris, how old were you when you started using substances? I, I drank now and then in high school. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it much. I was so involved. I, had, I always had a fear of letting people down or a fear of failure that I didn't, like, um, put myself in a ton of situations where I was going to mispractice or be hung over practice. And I, but I did. Mm-hmm. You know, but looking back, the one thing I notice now... When I did put something in me and, and get out of myself, I never knew when to stop. But I compared myself to other people. I said, oh, I'm only doing it once a month. But whenever I did drink, it got out of control really quick. So it was quick. like binge drinking. Yes. And uh, I never had a shut off with anything. But I drank now and then in high school and same thing in the college. I, I probably had five years at Boston College. I graduated in three and a half again into graduate school. I don't think I missed more than three classes in five years. And I probably went to five parties total. But I isolated for five years. And I did the right thing. And I hid in my room. And I didn't talk to people. I didn't get to know one regular student besides football players. But I did drink in college here and there. You know, and same thing in my first few years in the NFL. I, I, I drank here and there. And, and I know for me personally, I always went through life kind of on a tightrope. And if nothing really happened, I was just going to get by, you know. And, and I had a few things happen when I signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I had a few injuries, and, and, um, and I had my first coach that didn't like me or used to call me out. And, and I know for me at the time, I, I couldn't handle that. Like, I got through life just being able to handle life, you know. And I never, like, turned to substances, or I didn't need to escape, you know. But at that point when when – when I wasn't living up to the player I thought I should be, and I felt like, like I fell off that beam, and I, you know, I didn't know any other outlet. Like, I, I come from a family that doesn't communicate at all, zero. Mm. You know, I didn't know you're supposed to talk to people. I didn't know there's people out there that, that would, you know, want to help you. You know, in my family, you just keep everything in and don't talk about it, and that's not a problem. And, and, and for me... I found an outlet in alcohol at the time, you know, and that's kind of when it started around 2000. I was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, and how old were you at this point? 27. Yeah. So your late 20s. 20s. Yes. Yep. And that's kind of 
kind of where my my journey began with um it started with alcohol for me so you were using alcohol to kind of quiet those voices in your head quiet the demons that were haunting you it was it was literally the only thing that got me through the day when i was out there was a thought i can't wait to get home have a couple drinks and then i can forget about it quiet down my my head and what i think about myself and forget about for the day for a little while because i I didn't know a healthy alternative on how to deal with life or situations or anxiety or depression. So when did that start to get out of hand? In Pittsburgh, I mean, I started just, I, I, I started drinking every night. You know, I wasn't falling down or, or, but it was every night, you know, but in my head, I was controlling it. It wasn't a big deal. I'll never be an alcoholic. I'm not like that. You know, I'll stop whenever. And, um... But yeah, it really started around 2000 in, in, in Pittsburgh. When did you start using heroin? That was a couple years later. And what prompted that? I had started buying pain pills in 2001. I was released by the Steelers. I came back to Massachusetts and, um, and I started to hang out with a new type of person. Um, I started to hang around with people that only liked me because I played football and I had money. You know, and all the people that cared about my family, real friends, and, and, and I was ashamed that I got released, and I stopped hanging out with them. But I started buying pain pills right around 9-11, 2001. And was that for pain, or was that nope. for recreational use? That was for recreational. <clears throat> I had had surgeries before, but I was in no pain, you know, um, you know, but I had structure in my life at the time, you know, and I, and I, I know after the surgeries, I threw them away. You know, but it was kind of like the perfect storm for me. I was, I was, my depression had gotten worse. My anxiety was through the roof. I started buying the pain pills in September 2001, and it still scares me because I can still almost picture the night. But I, I remember taking the taking the um, Percocet, Vicodin, and being, and I remember the feeling, like it, it was the feeling that I had dreamt about in my head since I was in like third grade. Like, I always dreamt growing up of feeling a certain way. Like, I, I knew how I felt wasn't right. You know, my doubts and anxiety and all the fears I had, you know, and I just wanted to be comfortable for a little while. I just wanted to be comfortable around people, and I found it in those pain pills. And, and looking back, it was over at the time. I just didn't know it. It was about eight or nine months later that I eventually found heroin. And then your journey... To sobriety began after how many years of using these um, types of drugs? Yeah, I started in 01, so 08, seven years, maybe eight, 2000, I really started drinking. So it was a, it was a long seven or eight years of, of um, a lot of damage to the, especially myself and the people around me. You know, it's fun, one of the biggest things we talk about is, and we didn't know it, the, the ripple effect of, like, our decisions mm-hmm. or a kid's decisions or Taylor's decisions. Like, you just, at the time, you're going through something, you're like, I'm only hurting myself, just leave me alone. Like, right. it's not a big deal. You don't realize the damage you're doing to the people around you, your friends, relatives, nieces. You know, it's... it's um, it's pretty amazing, but December 15, 2008, so I'm coming up on my uh, 14 years. Um, 14 years. What was Yeah, that? and it took a lot of, so I went people. to, you know, I I can't go through the eight years, but but I got down, by 05, I was 165 pounds down wow. from 290 and, and all this stuff, and I ended up in hospitals, but from 2005, 2008, I went to 50 in rehabs, 
I, I can remember growing up in college and high school thinking, like, like, how could someone do that to their life? And I honestly believed that. Like, I thought because I could deal with physical pain and I could deal with injuries and I could push myself that, like, somehow this won't affect me. You know, the, the, the thing for me is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life wasn't anything I did in sports was getting sober. Mm. You know, and I really wish when I when I was a kid that I realized this harmless pain pill that the trainers used to give me after games, I didn't know where it could lead. Right. You know, after the game, you're hurt. Here's a couple pain pillows and, and the pain goes away. And I didn't realize that could eventually lead to heroin. So what was I that did. final kind of inciting incident that inspired you to commit to your sobriety? I had left another sober house and, and I... I, I remember thinking I, I I had lost my house. I was in North Atterburn apartment that I couldn't afford and I had no cable or heat. And I remember thinking, I can't do this. Like I thought my life was going to be that cycle of relapse and hospitals and letting people down. And because I just didn't have, like I wanted to get clean. Um, I just couldn't do it. But the day, December 15th, so my day of my sobriety, um, the thing I had struggled with my whole life, my mental health, I had a total breakdown. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in a police station or in court or in another ambulance or, you know, whatever. All the things you, you think would be a jackpots throughout the years of, of addiction. Um, it was the thing I had struggled with forever, my mental health, my anxiety and depression. I had a total mental breakdown. And I cried for probably five hours on my couch, shaking. I tried to get in the church next door, but it was locked because I was like, I, I got to pray or something. But the one thing that happened that day is like, I, I, I finally reached a point where I said to myself after 36 years, like, I, I can't feel this anymore, you know? And uh, Do you want to take a break? So, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Um, I, I don't know, the gift of desperation, and, and, and I don't know, but the one thing that happened is that guy Steve walked in about 15 minutes later, and he was coming by my house like three times a day. Um, I had called him weeks before. I don't remember doing it because I probably I wasn't sober. You know, and he kept coming by and coming by, but, but he came in about 15 minutes after I had that total breakdown, and, and and this is the truth. I was 36. First time in my life I asked another human being for help with anything. Mm. Yep. First time I ever went to anybody for anything. You know, and it, geez, like I tell the kids, don't wait. You know what I mean? Like there's right. help out. People want to help. There's so many good people in this world. You just got to find the right person, someone you trust, someone you can rely on. And, and people want to, and, and that first time I asked for help changed my life. Both of you have spent years educating kids, parents, and others about the harmfulness and risks associated with underage substance use. Kathy, I've heard you say that you were a rite of passage mom Absolutely. before losing Taylor, and now you are insistent that 21 is 21 for a reason. Could you tell us about that journey and why that's so important to you? Absolutely. Um, I was that rite of passage mom. So you have to remember when Taylor was 17, I also had a 19-year-old son, Zachary, and a younger son who was 10, Logan. So I was a single mom at the time, and I was that mom 
that used to purchase alcohol for my 19-year-old. So when I was 18, I was married, having babies. So for me, that 19 felt like an adult to me. Mm -hmm. And I did not have the understanding why 21 was the number. So after Taylor passed away, my world obviously changed immediately and my perspective of underage drinking changed. And I will never forget um, a few weeks after Taylor had passed, it was probably a month, my older son, Zachary, came up to me and he said, Mom, will you buy me some beer? And I remember thinking, I looked at that boy and I said, are you insane? What are you thinking? That is a humongous mistake I made. I'll never do that again. And I will tell you, 14 years later, I have never done that again. Um, I learned the highest lesson at the most expensive cost. So for me, 21 is 21. And the reason why I so believe that now is because I'm a lot more educated in what alcohol does to a system for a young person. I'm more educated in the dangers. I'm more educated in what has happened. I have so many friends now that have lost their kids either from substances or underage drinking that I know it is real. I know the reasons why. And, you know, I think... The price came at a very high price for me, and my goal is that it's not going to happen to other families because of that. And I will say ignorance, because it was ignorance that I did not know. I mean, a lot of people say, yes, 21 is 21, but they don't realize the dynamics behind it and why that is the actual age, you know, right. with a human brain. And I'm by no means a doctor, nor do I pretend to be one on TV or a podcast, <laughs> but you know, you learn the dangers of it, you know, so that has changed my world entirely. So there's a saying that you don't know what you don't know, it, to touch say, on what you just said. I actually have that tattooed on my arm. Oh, no <laughs> When kidding. you know better, you do better. Yes, yes. from Maya Angelou. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's tattooed right on my arm. Oh. I believe in it that wow. well. Yes, so when you know better, you do better. And right. I am a living example of that. If you go on our website, Sullivan's Message, that is literally my quote. So I oh, just, I funny. truly, I didn't know that. yes, I truly, truly believe in that. Because honestly, you know, I was a good mom prior to Taylor passing. You know, I had the basic knowledge of, you know, what was right and what was wrong. But I will share with you, I was a much better mom for Logan than I ever was with Zachary and Taylor. You know, and, and he had a different mom. He had a totally different mom, Logan, my 10-year-old, teaching him the right mm. ways and being a good example for him. Right. And, you know, I was the mom that didn't have the alcohol in my house because I never drank at home. It was not something I ever did. Um, if I did drink, it was out socially. Mm. So it wasn't anything like my kids were surrounded by alcohol all the time at my household. But I will share with you, when I cleaned out Taylor's room afterwards, there was beer in her closet. And I was blown away by that. You know, it was like I think the more I learned the more I realized what I was lacking in, you know, as a parent. So that's why I do the parent nights, to try to get better educated, you know, parents out there. In terms of your own personal knowledge and understanding. Exactly. So yes. now you have that knowledge, you have that information, and your goal is to share that with other parents to make sure that they're not making similar mistakes. Poor choices, exactly. Poor choices. And, and honestly, I will share with you, like, I don't have a problem with drinking. I stopped drinking entirely when I met Chris, because it just wasn't important to me. But we do not have a problem with people who drink healthy, you know, like can drink under control. My concern is 21 is 21 for a reason, you know. So I think the education that we put behind it is to just educate your kids and the parents as well. So in addition to 21 being 21 for a reason, what are some of the other salient points that you would like every parent to know? I think one of my most important 
point is that your child is no different than my child. You know, and your kids are faced with stuff every single day. You know, I don't know if parents, if we grasp that concept as well as we should. You know, our kids growing up today grow up totally different than us. You know, with social media and what's available to them, it's a totally different world. And Chris will share, too, like conversations are huge. You know, I think the most important thing people can get out of this is to be able to have conversations with your kids about everything and live by example as well, you know, because they do watch what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris was talking about how important conversation is. Right? And inf- well, informed conversation. Informed, yes. yes. Well, especially yep. with me too. It's, I mean, especially when I talk to parents, it's communication. Mm-hmm. Like, I could have gone to my parents, but I didn't know. My family doesn't communicate. Like, I didn't know I could. I could have gone to my mother or father, and it's we. My wife got me on a TV show. Mel Robbins. Mel Love Robbins. A um, <laughs> couple couple years ago, yeah. unbeknownst me, she wrote into the show being me. Because she loves the lady. And, um, He's very interesting. And I went on the show. But, you know, the the sad part of that is, um, I was going somewhere with this story, is my mother saw it. And my mother actually passed away on my sobriety date two years ago. Wow. Um, I knew she'd pick that day anyway. It's my sister's wedding anniversary, too. But the thing about that is I went on the show. My mother watched it. I walked into my mother's house for a Sunday dinner, and she lost it. She started crying. Mm. And she said, I had no idea you were struggling that much. And I remember telling her, like, you would, how would you? Right. Like, I portrayed someone that had everything going on for him. You know, and um, I never communicated, you know. And, and, And especially with me, like, I think if someone really asked me if I had was struggling with something, I probably would have opened up. You know, but nowhere did anyone think I was struggling with something. And it never occurred yeah. to you to reach out to somebody no, else? No, no. Jeez. I, I mean, I had so, I, I guess I, get, I, I had a lot of a certain mold of football coach, and I had Coughlin and Parcells and Belichick, and it's like, I'd never go to, like, someone like that and say, oh, I'm, or, my, or someone in my family, I'm struggling with, like, anxiety and depression. I was too scared to. Were you concerned about your career? I was not not so much my career, just kind of my image. I didn't want, like, I felt so insecure and fearful, and like I didn't want people to see me that way. Like I didn't want people to think I was weak. I wanted to portray a different image of myself. We just talked about things that you'd like every parent to know. What are some things that you'd like every kid to know? If you had to encapsulate your speech into a couple of talking points, what would those be? You know, it's funny. I think with our speech, and obviously it's about substance use and underage drinking, that is the main criteria why we go to the communities we go to. But at the end of the conversation, it is always about choices. You know, it literally comes down to choices on every aspect of your life. You know, your friendships, your choices, what you do, what you take in your system. Like, just choices in general are what causes the good outcomes, you know, and I I always tell kids, you know, when you have that gut feeling that something's not right, it's not right, go by Mm. your gut, you know, you're never going to stay yourself wrong, so I think kids need to realize that, you know, if they are going to choose to drink for the evening, or they're going to choose to use some sort of substances, they're giving away the outcome 
of being able to have a successful life. Because as much as we like to think our friends are going to take care of us, just like Taylor did that night, she was surrounded by 22 of her friends. But they were also making poor choices. You know, and they were all 17 and 18-year-old brains, you know, that couldn't possibly have protected themselves. So I think I get so many emails from kids who have been in the same circumstances, who have literally been in the woods drunk, and their friends have left them behind. You know, or they've, I had one girl come up to me um, a couple couple weeks ago when we were doing a parent night. There was like 45, 50 people there, which is a lot for a nighttime event. But this one girl had come in, and she was way at the top of the bleachers. And at the end of the talk, she came down, and she was talking to me, and she gave me a hug, and she's like, thank you so much. You have no idea how important that was to me. And then she left. And then after everybody left, she came back, and she was hysterically crying. And I was like, honey, what's the matter? She goes, that happened to me last week. She goes, I was out in the woods. My friends all left. I was alone. I was asleep in the woods because I had passed out. She goes, but one of my friends realized that I had never come home. They went, knocked on the door, got my parents up, and they came and they looked for her. So... As I'm going to get upset here, but that girl was like, I literally could have been Taylor, you know, and she's like, I'm so thankful I wasn't, you know, I'm like, I am so thankful you weren't. And I'm even more thankful that your mother forced you to come listen to this message tonight, right? (laughs) She goes, yeah, and she had emailed me afterwards. And she said, I'm not letting my mother know how important this was to me, you know, because she'll have that ha-ha, I might moment. And I said to her, oh, you got to tell your mother she was right. So she ended up talking to her mom that night. And her mom emailed me, like, the next day and said, listen, my daughter said she spoke to you. Thank you so much. I'm very blessed she made it. You know, and those are the stories that I love to hear because it's friends that were taking care of her. It's people that knew, come up and admit your stupid mistakes. Who cares? We're human. We're going to make mistakes. You know, and just the fact that you can learn from a message is huge. You know, and she said, you have changed my entire life and my entire perspective forever. And that's what it's all about. It's like amazing what can happen, you know, and even just that parent, you know, being so thankful, you know, that the kids did the right thing, you know, and adults don't do the right thing. So like, I mean, we, we all have to work on ourselves a little bit, you know, but that's why we do what we do, because it's those moments when you can have that person forced to come to a presentation and then embrace it afterwards. It's just amazing. So it's, I think it's important. That's one of the things that we want kids to understand is that even if you know those those critical people in your lives are not the people that you would necessarily turn to when you're having a tough time there are others out there who care about you there is someone absolutely and I we always say that we always say you know whoever it is just talk to whoever you can talk to we don't care who it is you know right and it can even be you know another person their age if it is that person you know but just reach out to somebody well it's hard to go to the people closest to you you know, I, I know that for people in recovery, it's like those are the people you give the most backlash to mm-hmm. because what they say, like, gets through and it hurts you. So it's like my sponsor is the person I didn't know him from Adam. I opened up to. He's the one I asked for help. Like, I think a lot of times you're, if you're a kid and your parents come to talk to you, like, you don't want to let them down. You don't want to tell them all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you need to find someone. Taylor's story, front page, like, I mean, we never realized the scope until we started going town, town, state, state. Like, it doesn't just happen here. It happens in every town, every community. 
But it, it, it's changed so much with fentanyl. It's like you're losing a whole generation of people, and right. it's not in the paper, and it's just a blurb on a computer screen, and and it's just, it, it really is scary. Well, like, it's an issue, once you start talking with people about this topic, you realize that it's an issue that touches everyone, yes. whether it touches yes. them personally, or a family member, a child, a friend. So nobody's untouched no. by this topic. No, and it's not can't recreationally use anymore because this fentanyl is getting cross-contaminating everything Too many risks. kids yeah kids are going out to oh, i'm gonna smoke a joint and it's laced with fentanyl and that's it we've right. heard a lot done. of stories like that it, it's really a scary i mean it's right. really scary glad i'm not a kid now we know that effective prevention measures include parents and other adults modeling good behavior. We've kind of touched on that already. Have you heard from any parents in particular who've either um, said that they've changed their habits or changed their perspective or changed their behavior as a result of hearing your stories? Many, 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 many parents. And it's beautiful because that's the whole point of this. Um, I have parents now who check on their kids more often, who have phone numbers, who talk to them about substances. You know, um, one perfect example is I actually have one of the kids who supplied the alcohol for Taylor. Mm -hmm. He was a 21-year-old boy, um, and he was the one that supplied some of the alcohol for Taylor that night. His family are family friends of mine. And when all of this came down, we realized that it was this family member of ours. And we ended up, you know, not really talking for a few years. We were not angry with each other, but we didn't speak with each other for a few years. And years later, um, I was at the nail salon getting my feet done with my girlfriend. And when I was in that chair, in that pedicure chair, my friend was to the right of me, but then to the right of her, was Sean's mom. And I remember thinking, oh God, what am I going to do? Because I've always wanted to talk to her afterwards. So I finished up, she finished up. I walked over to her after she was done. And I said, sweetie, I just want to say, I'm so sorry your family went through what they went through, you know? And she said, Kathy, you know, I'm so sorry that your family went through what you went through. Because I was the mom sitting there with the loss of the child, but they were also the parents with the poor child that was 21 that had supplied the alcohol. It's that ripple effect it we is were that talking ripple effect. about. Exactly. So, you know, she was living down the street two miles, living her nightmare mm. from the subsequent consequences, from the, you know, passing a tailor. And I was up the street living my nightmare. And I remember saying to her, I'm so sorry. And she goes, you know what, Kathy? I'm so sorry. You went through what you went through and myself as well. She said, but it amazes me how things don't change. She said, I changed my behavior afterwards. There was never alcohol in the house. If we ever had people in the house, we were so aware of everything. She goes, but I would go places, and my friends hadn't changed their behaviors, mm. even though they knew what I was going through. Right. You know, and when she said that to me, you know, I realized her pain more so at that point because you do you go through your own stuff and you think of your side but you don't necessarily always realize what other people are going through and she went through some major life changings with her son you know her son struggled for years because of he wasn't able to forgive himself uh -huh. and i had forgiven him day one because he always took responsibility for it but the quick story is he was actually at a meeting with chris and he was chairing the meeting 
No kidding. Yes, mm-hmm. cheering with Taylor. NA. You know, he was at an NA meeting, right, because he had struggled for years. Wow. And as Chris listened, he called me and he said, hey, he's up there sharing. Should I leave? And I said, no, please tell him I'm so proud of him, you know. And afterwards, I was texting him. He was texting me. You know, he came over and had dinner at my house on Taylor's anniversary. Wow. You know, we all make mistakes. We all can make poor choices. But I always tried to share with him that everything good that has happened because of Taylor's story involves him. There were kids not buying alcohol for young kids because of that part of the story. There were kids making better choices. There were 21-year-olds making better choices. And I said to him, you know what, you have to realize that you are also a part of all the good that happened. So the po- you, a positive ripple yes, effect. Yes, a positive ripple effect, you know, because I said, you know, if it wasn't the whole entire story, that wouldn't have stopped people from buying alcohol for someone younger. So mm. anything good that has happened because of Taylor is also because of you, honey. You know, and I, he's doing really good now. You know, life is really well. Mm. So, you know, but it is. It's always, you always think your decisions only affect you. And it's such a ripple effect. I've heard yep. your story um, and uh, a couple of times. We did the Take 10 video yes. when I interviewed you. And then I heard you present to the kids at Hingham High School And in one of those conversations, I don't remember which one, you talk about a mom who was at the homecoming game and saw Taylor. So as we're on the subject of this ripple effect and and people being involved and people regretting, and there's nothing worse than regret and knowing that you could have potentially changed things. Could you share a little bit about what this mom has said to you? The story she's talking about is when Taylor was at the homecoming game that night. Taylor went up and sat next to one of her softball friend moms. Um, And she sat up next to this lady and she was talking to Taylor. And, you know, Taylor was very loud like her mother. Um, She was very, very, very great personality. She was amazing. But she walked up and she was chatting away. And this mom could tell that she had been drinking and that she had asked Taylor if she was driving. And when Taylor said she wasn't driving, she let her go. And then a couple weeks later, that poor woman had to sit on my couch and say that she wished she had called me. You know, and that's part of my message when I speak is I try to have parents, you know, if you see something, say something, kind of like they say at the airport. Mm -hmm. You know, and I always say, you know, just be sure to say something because at least then you know you've done your part because we don't know what would have happened. You know, things may not have changed. You know, I forgave that woman on the spot because you can't get those moments back, you know. But what ended up happening for years, we didn't really speak because of that because she realized I was sharing that on my conversations. And I was like I've never said your name I just want it to be educational it's all about education you know someone making a better choice and we actually had a conversation um, within the last year I invited her to my office and I just wanted to talk to her about it because we had never had that conversation and sometimes conversations can be very challenging you know but you feel like you have to say something from your heart just to get it out and we actually spoke and you know what she's a very good friend of mine now we're back on Facebook together we you know comment on each other she loved my kid just like I loved her kid you know and it was just a poor decision for the evening and you know the fact that people can learn from that is huge you know so the point of that conversation is you know if you see something make that phone call but you also have to make sure that if you have young kids on here listening that you want to tell your kids friends parents that you want the phone conversation because we need to be able to say, hey, call us if something's up. Because so many people are afraid 
you know, to be that, as I say, tattletale parent. Right. You know, trust me, you want to do it because, you know, the repercussions can be very severe. So, so I'm very glad to sit here and say that we've had that conversation one-on-one, face-to-face, and it was good to be able to get everything out in the air, and it ended up working out well. That's great. Yep. That's great. Well, yeah. That's one of the things that we hear from parents a lot is, you know, we don't want our kids to be drinking or to be around substances but we don't feel comfortable letting other parents know that necessarily. We don't want to be the social outcast. We don't want our kids to be the social outcast. And one of the things that we like to do at Hingham Cares is to provide those parents cover, the cover that they need to have those difficult conversations with parents because you want, with other parents, you want to be preemptive in this world. Absolutely. You want to make sure that you are getting ahead of what could potentially become a terrible, tragic situation. And there's nothing wrong with teaching your kids to say no, to saying no to other parents, to saying no to other kids. So that's a a really important lesson. And unfortunately, from your story, we hear what the the negative outcome is from not having those important conversations with other parents. We also have to be okay with our kids making mistakes. Hello, they're going to make mistakes. You know, and when you can freely have a conversation with them about it or even with your friend about it, then it makes it okay that the kids are going to be able to come to the table with something if they've messed up. Right. You know, my son Logan, trust me, he lost his sister when he was 10 years old. You know, was his perspective about underage drinking different? Yes. Mm. But did I find him smoking pot when he was, you know, in the sophomore high school yes you know did we have those conversations yes we did you know but I think parents can't be afraid of you know whatever choices are being made at their household and bringing them to the table because when you actually speak about them they're not so terrible on the subject of working with parents and providing support to parents a few years ago you started a support group for parents called moving forward yes could you describe that absolutely it's called moving forward parents and we meet every tuesday night via zoom and it's for all parents mostly moms sorry guys but we can have some dads but it's mostly moms for some reason we had a couple of guys um and it's really a parent figure you know it's just somebody who has lost a child Mm -hmm. and i will share with you that i have probably at least 10 that regularly jump on this meeting Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. And we talk about everything. And it's really nice because there's people who have lost kids from substance use. There's people who have lost kids from accidents, cancer, stillbirths. You name it, it's a loss is a loss. So, But we have conversations every single Tuesday about whatever our week has been. You know, we have deep conversations. And honestly, I will share with you right after Taylor passed, I remember being at my sister's house and she was getting my hair done, my hairdresser, like I mentioned earlier. But she was doing my hair when I was trying to get ready for Taylor's funeral. And I remember looking in the mirror and seeing that mom, that mom who had lost a kid. And I remember seeing that saddened face on me with no emotion. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to be able to survive this. Like, I looked at that woman in that mirror and I said, I can't be her because, Kristen, as you know, I'm the most joyous human being you'll ever meet in your life. It's just who I am. And somehow, I didn't become that person. Somehow, I was able to survive it and be able to move forward. And that's literally what we do. We don't get over the loss of your child ever. You don't get over the loss of your person ever, no matter who it may be. But you have to learn to move forward. You know, I always say we bring them with us. And I always explain to people, you know, you may have physically lost that person, But that physical side of Taylor, like I said this the other day for the first time, 
I, I loved her butt, but I didn't love her butt. I loved her hugs, but it wasn't her hug that I loved. It was always the soul behind the hug. Right. You know, it was always the person. And we never lose that person if you really, really don't want to lose that person. You know, so I we move forward in our meetings. Um, amazing thing. So Chris works at Gilly's house. It's a sober house in Wentham mm-hmm. um, for men. And Barbara, who lost her son, started that how many years ago? Six years ago now? Roughly. Yeah, so she lost her son about seven years ago. And she started this 21-bed sober house, which is so supported in Rentham, it's beautiful. But she started doing a luncheon um, three years ago. And she had asked me if I would go to it three years ago. And I said, oh, my God, I'd love to. And she said, good, because you're speaking. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How is that an invitation? So we had 25 people. It was right during COVID. But that year we did the first one the second one we had over like 120 parents who had lost their kids wow and it was amazing and the conversations were amazing and we're actually having our third one on monday and we brought it down to 80 because 120 was a little too much but we brought it down to 80 and there will be 80 parents there that have lost a child and whatever that loss is from the feelings are still the same, right? you know? So that's what we're there for, to support each other. So it's the most beautiful thing because I always say to people, you know, when I just did the SADOD, did a big grief conference mm-hmm. in October a couple of weeks ago and we spoke there and there was like 200 people there. And you don't get a chance to talk about your human, you know, and also just talk about your human. You know, it doesn't have to be the sad part of it. It can just be the happy part of it. But a lot of people look at people who have lost kids and can't even have a conversation with them. Right. You know, my first thing is always when they can't speak to me, I'm always like, what was your kid's name? You know, and then they say it and they light up and they just start talking. And that's what this is all about. So, you know, if anybody needs the support out there, we would love to have them. Um, Tuesday night, 7 p.m., go on the site and click on. And I let people know some people can't talk. Some people can't show their face. Get on without your video. Get on there and mute it. Just listen to the conversation, and you'll realize that you are not alone, and that's what it's all about. And they can go to your website and find that information. Yes. It's yes. sullivansmessage.com. Dot com. Yes. When you and I spoke last year for the Take 10 video, when I interviewed you for that, you, you told a story of another mom who had lost her children, two sons in one night. Yes. And that story has stuck with me. Any story of loss, you know, it's just terrible. And as a parent, you feel for other parents. But that story in particular stuck with me because of the magnitude of the tragedy and how young the kids were and how preventable the situation was. All of this loss due to substances is 100% preventable absolutely what were the details of that story so that is my friend becky savage and she's she is flying in on sunday she's actually coming to our luncheon so if you want to meet her come on monday Um, okay but she is coming on monday she's flying in from indiana and her um, her foundation she created is the 525 foundation Um, in 2015 she lost her son jack and nick Um, they were 18 and 19 one had just graduated from high school and the other one had just come home from his freshman year. And so it was graduation, a couple of parties, you know, during the day. Both of them came home before curfew. One went downstairs with a couple of friends and the other one went up to bed to go to sleep. And she woke up in the morning and she's a nurse. And she woke up in the morning and walked into one of her son's room upstairs and noticed he was unresponsive. And she started working on him with CPR. And as she did, the 
ambulance pulled into a driveway because the kids downstairs had noticed that the other son was not breathing. And she lost both her boys that one day in her house. And when I met that woman, I thought, how do you survive that? You know, everybody has their thing, but how do you survive that? And she is absolutely amazing. Um, her and her husband, she still has the two boys, so she has four boys total, but she's got two younger kids, and she does amazing things, and she's actually flying out to talk at our mom's night, mom's breakfast, so we're going to have some good time. But she's amazing what she does. But it's all about education. It's all about awareness, and the things that she does with her foundation are absolutely amazing. So if anybody has a chance to check her out, I know she's 525 Foundation. Org, I believe. Well, yeah. it raises such an important issue, too. So many people think, like your friend, oh, well, Taylor's not driving, so it's okay that she's drinking. Right. And what people don't understand is that any form of underage substance use can cause any number of complications. So these two young men yes. went out and partied. They literally came went, home yeah. before curfew. Right, before curfew, did what they were supposed to do, and they came, and it was acute alcohol poisoning in one oxycodone pill. Wow. And unfortunately, during that night, there was someone handing the bottle out. Yeah, and there was, there was a prescription from somebody. Cabinet. Yep. Uh -huh. And they actually had three overdoses that night. Um, two other people, I think I'm saying this correctly, had gone to the hospital. But nobody called everybody else to say, make sure you keep an eye on yourself. It's so that it's, brain development yeah. that's yeah. just not there yet. No, nope, not at all. They make risky decisions. They do risky things. And they're not thinking clearly enough for one thing, yeah. under substances, but yeah. also because of the brain development. They're not thinking yeah. clearly enough Absolutely. to make those um, rational and, and right choices. Yes. If Taylor knew about the legacy that she's created through you spreading your message, through her message, what do you think she would have to say about that? Well, first off, I'm going to tell you, I know she knows about the message, so it's not an if for me, and that has helped me a lot with my survival. I know that without a doubt. I know that she would be very proud. You know, it's funny. I know that she would be happy with the changes that everybody has made. She is in the hearts of people that have never met her. She is literally on the arms because of the bracelets that say I'm here for a reason. So mm. they have an affirmation walking around places that I have no idea. So I know she's up this smile and I know she's very proud, you know. And I, I look at it like she could be a 31-year-old today. Mm. She could be married. She could be having some grandbabies for me like my son. She could have some fabulous job right now. But that was not the path she was supposed to take. Right. You know, and as the mom to be able to say that, that I wouldn't change it, that's huge. So, you know, whatever people may be listening to this and haven't had gone through something, please know that it's going to be okay. And please know that whatever they're going through that there can be a reason and a purpose. And it doesn't have to be something grand scale, like you go to schools and hug 100 kids a day. Um, it can be something as simple as you just have a conversation with somebody about your person. And mm -hmm. that's truly all it needs to be about. Well, I want to thank you both for being here with us today. This has been a great conversation. You've had so many important things to share, insight coming from the perspective that you uh, both individually come from and then together. And I was just wondering if you had any final parting words for our listening audience. It's not just the disease. It's all about the choices is what we were talking about. Because we were talking on the way up here, you know. Right. We're like, we never end well. What do you want to end with? <laughs> and you were saying that it wasn't the disease. It was more about choices as well, you know, and everything and just talk to your people. Right. So, you know, it's just as, you know, a podcast is all about a conversation. Go home and have the same conversation with your people.
any kids who drink 15, 16 years old, what is the percentage? One, there's like 25% more likely to become an alcoholic mm -hmm. if they start drinking that young, like one in four. And whenever I heard that, I was like, oh my God, like I never would have thought that because the human brain isn't capable of taking it and it makes you more predisposed to become an alcoholic. Exactly. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. It's very scary. Yeah. One of the moms had mentioned that at one of our talks the other day. She said, I never realized that it affects their brain different than it would affect our brain. Right. Yep. As yep. parents, we don't want bad things to happen to our kids, for yep. sure. Nobody, nobody wants to encourage risky behavior or place their children in harm's way. Yep. But there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of education that needs to take place for parents to make those appropriate decisions. Absolutely. You've been listening to Substance Free 02043. I'm your host, Kristen Arute with Hingham Cares, and I want to thank you for joining us and hope you'll tune in next time. Thank you. For more info or to get involved, go to hinghamcares.org.